Okay, for all you who were not here on Sunday, I want to re-record the message uh, that I brought forth. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, I, I just was so excited and I'm so excited to share it with you because I believe God has put something on my heart that's going to help us and strengthen us in these unknown times that we're facing here, uh, even in the Twin Cities area. Uh, there's so many ways I could go with this. David said this in the sound. He said, I have never, he said, I once was young and now I'm old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. David has spent his whole life walking with God and he saw him to be faithful. Romans chapter 8. Uh, just listen to this with me. Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered you and I face all kinds of different trials and struggles don't we in the Christian life but no the scripture says in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure Paul says that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including coronavirus, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that promise? Oh boy, there is so much here. I think, though, that the, uh, the biggest... Uh, portion of scripture that we go to in times of trouble that I have seen is Psalm number 91. So grab your Bible and uh, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to try uh, to to get through this and get it all in one shot. There's there's a lot here, um, but I could I could probably stretch this out to three weeks if I wanted to. Uh, there's a lot here though, so follow along with me. Psalm 91. Beginning at verse 1, he who dwells in the secret place or the shelter of the Most High. I like the King James there, the secret place. Strong's Dictionary calls it a covering, a shelter, a hiding place, secrecy. It's a place that's not out in the open where we are vulnerable, right, and open to attack. But it's a place of safety and security. It's the shelter of the Most High. It's His place, the place that He provides for His own. Scripture says, He who dwells in that secret place, He who lives there. This isn't a place that you and I just go visit from time to time. It's a place that we live. Uh, I'm sure you've seen crime shows on TV, people that are in protective custody, maybe they witnessed a crime or something and they're waiting to testify in a trial. And what they will do is to put them into a place, they'll move them from their 
danger, and they will move them to a place where halfway across the country, they'll give them a new identity, right? And there they will live. They will work. They will make friends. They'll have barbecues. But this is their whole life now, where they live. Okay? That's the point. That this is the place where they dwell. This is where their whole life is. And I can't help but thinking of John chapter 15 where Jesus says, talks about abiding in him, living in him. You know, when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we, we live in him. We trust in him. We live our lives in that truth, in a relationship with him. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our source of life. This isn't sometimes yes and sometimes no. We live our whole lives in him, in that truth, in that relationship, right? So, same thing. But Psalm 91, under the old covenant, was still a place of trust, right? Still a place of reliance upon God. That Their faith was the foundation of their very lives. So, he that lives or abides in that secret place of the Most High will also abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Again, looking at that illustration of witness protection. If you're doing that and, and the FBI is there and they've done that, they're going to be watching out for you. They're going to be looking around, making sure nobody's coming near your house, nobody's coming near your car. You're in their shadow. They're, you're under their eye, right? They're keeping an eye on you. So that's what that's talking about. So we are under the constant, watchful protection of God Almighty. Amen? All right. Number two, verse two, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, what's that? The place I feel safe. And my fortress, a fortress is a well-built and a well-guarded stronghold. My God, the psalmist says, the one that I revere, the one that I worship, in whom I trust. Verse three, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. What is a fowler? The fowler was someone that caught birds, you know, like pheasants, right? Game birds. And the snare was something that would suddenly snap upon that bird. They would have no idea it was coming and just boom, they're done, they're caught. That's the end, right? Um, this is what we're talking about. But you and I living in that relationship with God, we are not going to fall prey to sudden snares. Number one, we have an active relationship with the God who knows all, who sees all, right? He is in front of us. He's behind us. He's all around us. He knows everything that's going on. And number two, he also gives us many warnings in his word, doesn't it? So all kinds of wisdom that we can draw from so that we are not caught unawares. We are not dumb birds just wandering around wherever. We have wisdom from God. We have the Holy Spirit living in us to warn us, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We're not ignorant 
right? We know the kinds of things that he does. God tells us in his word. So we're not just going to fall for this and fall for that, right? So not only does he deliver us from the snare of the fowler, but from the deadly pestilence. Boy, that's relevant, isn't it? Think about that for a minute, though. What is pestilence? Okay, disease that comes. Think about this way back in Bible times. They didn't have microscopes. They didn't know what germs were. They didn't, you know, you've seen the pictures, I'm sure, of the coronavirus, the little ball with the things sticking out of it. They had no idea of that stuff. To them, it was something that was unseen, right? Um, just frightful. This is unseen. It's here. We don't know what it is. We don't know where it comes from. But we know that people all around us are dying. Okay? Um, but you and I, right? Um, let, me, let me go back. Not only was it an unseen and an unstoppable danger, but they had no immunity built up against this thing. You and I living in a relationship with Christ, we can build up an immunity to certain dangers, right? Because we put good practices together in our lives, we, um, for example, sowing into our hearts and minds the word of truth. We sow that. We, we read the word of God. We're putting that truth into us over and over and over again so that we are not taken in by the lies of the enemy. Who is the enemy? He's the father of lies, right? How does he drag us down? Through his lies. But when we sow the truth into our minds, into our hearts, we build up an immunity to those lies, don't we? We sow things like gratitude and repentance so that we don't get destroyed by what? Pride. How many people has pride taken down, right? So, we do that. Um, We practice generosity, don't we? Looking out for others, looking out for our fellow man. Why? So that we don't get destroyed by the love of money, by greed that has torn so many people down. So we build up immunities through the things that we do in this relationship with God, don't we? Verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. I've heard stories of, of fires on farms, right, uh, where they would have chickens. And they would go to clean up everything in the end, and uh, oh, there was a chicken that didn't make it. You, know, you can just see the burn marks on it, and there it is. And they go to, to move it out of the way, and out from under the wings come all the chicks. That chicken had covered them, had protected them with their wings. That's the picture that we have. God putting us under his wings. Isn't that awesome? His faithfulness, uh, verse 4 goes on, is a shield and a buckler. What is that? A shield, right? That's, that's the big shield that you would hold that would maybe protect against a heavy sword or, uh, or an arrow that would come at you, you know, great big thing. But a buckler was a small round shield that was very, you know, fast acting and would guard maybe against a quick knife blow that was coming out of nowhere, right? So, so here's the thing. Um, God's faithfulness is our shield and our buckler. It is ready to protect us no matter what kind of attack we face, whether it's a big thing coming straight at us or whether it's a 
a jab coming from the side, coming out of nowhere. God's faithfulness is here. And that is especially awesome because God's faithfulness is part of his character. It's part of his nature. It's not something God is, is faithful sometimes and not sometimes, right? It's who he is. His faithfulness is consistent in our lives. He is dependable. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Verse 5, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. The big thing here he's talking about is fear. First of all, let's, let's look at that for a minute. Um, the, the terror of the night. Isn't everything worse at night? You wake up in the middle of the night and, and you're thinking about something, worried about something, and it's just magnified, right, in the darkness? That's just the way it is for us. But if you and I are living in that relationship with God, if we understand and see and know his dependability in our lives, growing in our faith, then we don't have to fear day or night, do we? It doesn't matter what the attack is. It doesn't matter when the attack comes. God's faithfulness is always here. Remember, the Bible says he is the God that never slumbers or sleeps. Aren't you glad? Verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. The wicked, talking about those who have rejected God. They want no part of God, right? And aren't they just open fodder for the, for the enemy? Just think uh, how many around us are falling, right? Falling to drugs, falling to alcohol. Their lives are a mess. Their families are a mess. Their marriages are a mess. Uh, gambling addictions, all kinds of different things that are going on, and they're falling left and right. A thousand at our side, ten thousand at our right hand. But it won't be. It won't come near us. Why? Again, because we have lives that are built. In faith in Jesus Christ. We have peace. We have hope. We have a future in him. We are not open fodder. We know the truth. Right? So. Verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Now I got to say. This is kind of a tricky passage. No evil will ever be, I mean, has evil ever befallen anybody in the church, any, any Christians? Obviously it has. This is one of those things we have to take in context with the whole of Scripture, don't we? Like any Scripture passage, we have to look at it in the context of the whole Bible. Uh, even in the book of Hebrews, the list of the heroes of faith, right? It talks about uh, those that were persecuted and some escaped the edge of the sword and others were sawn in two. Ouch. But think about that for a minute. Even if they were sawn in two, what was the end result? The end result for them was a martyr's crown, wasn't it? And untold riches in heaven, right? For giving their lives for the sake of the gospel, giving their lives for the sake of the Lord, right? 
So, big picture, evil or good, right? Our lives are like this. Eternity, right? As far as the east is from the west. Big picture, evil or good. At other times, evil comes to God's people as a result of his own judgment. But we know, we see through the scriptures that even when God is judging his people, what is he doing? He is still actively working for their good. He is trying to get them off of the destructive paths and back on to the straight and narrow. He is doing it in love. So again, in that sense, it's not evil, even though they're going through difficult times, maybe the the uh, other nation next to them is allowed to conquer them, right? It seems evil, but what is God doing? God is doing good. Let's be honest. Have devoted Christians died of cancer or other diseases? Absolutely. But again, what is death for a believer versus an unbeliever? It's not the same, is it? For us, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we step from this life of, of uncertainty and pain into a life of glory and, and the presence of God and just untold pleasures at his right hand. Amen? I think the key in this is looking at the book of Job. Remember in the book of Job, uh, the angels were, were appearing before God, and God, God, Satan comes, and God says, where you been? He says, I've been walking to and fro throughout the earth, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, yeah, you blessed his socks off. No wonder he worships you. You take all that stuff away, he'll curse you to your face, right? So God says, take it all away. Let's see what happens. But the interesting thing in all of that is God says, all right, now listen, you can go this far and no farther. You and I have got to understand that when we live in this secret place of the Most High, we are in the hand of God. There is no openness to chance, to uh, uh, fate, uh, anything that comes into our lives has to get filtered through the fingers of God. He has us in the palm of his hand. He controls what comes in and what does not come into our lives. He has promised to work all things together for good for you and I. Amen? So, in that same way, there are difficulties that come. There are things that may seem evil that come into our lives. But, number one, they are controlled by God. And number two, God promises to work those things together, ultimately, for good. Amen? Okay. Verse 7, or verse 11, excuse me. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Here again, this is a, a, a bit tricky. How many of you have stubbed your toe? Right? I think we all have. All right, so what, is God lying here, or, or, or what's he saying? No, what we have here is called 
hyperbole. Hyperbole in literature is purposeful exaggeration to make a point. Like when Jesus says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Okay? He's not being literal there. And thankful? Um, or uh, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't be my disciple. Is Jesus actually advocating that we hate our parents? Of course not. But what he's doing is exaggerating. He's comparing the two. He's saying, you know, your love for me should be such of a strength that comparatively what you have for your own parents looks like hatred. Okay? That's what he's talking about. He's exaggerating to make a point. So the point the psalmist is making here is that in a general sense, you and I who live in this relationship with God, we have his very own angels looking out for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I've gone down the street sometimes and I've been upset because I was late. And why isn't things working out the way they should? And this and, and I come up to an intersection and here is an accident that just happened. I, I, I hope that in heaven they allow us to play some of those tapes back because I am convinced that I have been saved out of so many different things by the hand of God, by the angels of God. However, you know, God spared me. You know, you're walking along and whoops, oh, caught myself. Maybe. Uh, could have been an angel. Never know. I know um, my brother uh, years ago was up on a scissor lift 25 feet high on the side of a building putting up a sign. And that thing went down. How my brother did not, um, down in the asphalt parking lot, how he did not break his neck, I have no idea except to say, and I said this to him, I said, you should have seen that angel that was underneath you. All right? He did suffer some injuries, broke a leg, uh, crushed a foot, uh, you know, things like that. But uh, he, by all rights, he should have been dead. So here we go. Um, God has probably, his angels have probably been there more times than we are even aware of. Amen? Verse 13. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. It is God's design that you and I be victorious over the enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8, who, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Right? We have him. We have the adder. What is that? Those are, I, I think of an adder as poison. Poisonous situations. Whether something is out for our blood or something to poison our lives, God has designed that you and I be victorious over those things. But 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. We cannot be lazy or flippant about uh, the instructions that God's given us in his word, uh, the armor of God that he's given us, spiritual gifts that he's given us. He's put all these things at our disposal to help us in our struggle against the enemy, right? And we got to use them. we got to use them in order for that protection to be there. So be sober, be watchful. But God's plan for you and I is to be in victory. Now the last three verses in Psalm 91, something changes. It goes from the psalmist speaking about God to God speaking. And it's a mouthful. Verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. 
I will protect him because he knows my name, he or she. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And here we come full circle, if it will. Notice, first of all, the tense here. He doesn't say, if he holds fast to me. He says, because he holds fast to me. Because he knows my name. This is expected for those who live in this secret place of the Most High, who live in this relationship with God. He says two things here that both have to do with relationship. Number one is love. Because he holds fast to me in love. What does it mean to hold fast? I think it's super glue. You know, you, you put two things together and they're stuck and they're hold fast, right? Um, it's actually the same exact phrase where Genesis says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his life, wife, and the two will be one flesh. These two will come together and there will be such a commitment, such a oneness, such a, a, a reaching out to one another and taking care of one another. It's, going to, it's like two people live in the same body. They are one together. You know what I'm getting at here? If a man puts his hand, it's like taking care of himself. They are so close, right? It's the same thing in our relationship with God. Holding fast to him in love. A, a committed, covenant relationship based in love. On the contrary, if we are not holding fast to him, but letting the things of this world steal our hearts and we go running out and chasing after all those things, what happens? We come out of that covering, don't we? We open ourselves up to attack. But God wants us to hold fast. God wants us to hold fast. Number two is faith. He says, I will protect him or her because they know my name. I don't have time to get in all the names of God uh, with you. There's a bunch of them in scripture. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Sebaoth, the Lord of hosts. El Shaddai, Almighty God. All of these names that we're given in Scripture talk about who God is in his relationship with us. All wrapped up in one name, the name I Am. I heard this preached years ago. A guy says, what do you need? I Am. Right? God said to Abraham, Abraham, I Am your great reward. See, we don't just get what God has. We get him, right? And he is to us everything that we could possibly need. That's who he is. That's who he is. He is faithful. He is strong. He is our refuge and our fortress and our peace and our hope and our life, right? Oh, he's our all in all. So those that walk in this relationship have found him over the course of time. 
We know who he is. We know his name. We not only read it in scripture, but we've lived it. We've found him faithful. We've found him to be our peace. We've found him to be our hope. We've found him to be our deliverer. Right? They know my name. And for them, he says, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. Maybe on the earth, certainly in the next life. Right? Again, our life on earth, eternity, with long life. Life, goodness, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So here's the question. Here's the question that I gave out Sunday morning. Are you living in the secret place? Again, not some place that you visit now and then. Are you living there? Do you know that you know that you know? That you have asked Jesus to come into your heart and life. That you've, that you've fallen down before him as a sinner in need of his grace. And you have said, Lord, I want you to be my Lord, to be my Savior. Have you made that connection? His Holy Spirit then coming in to live in you, adopting you as his child. Putting you then in that secret place of the Most High. That place where you belong to him. That place where you rest in the palm of his hand. Is that your testimony? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for making available to us this secret place of the Most High. We thank you, Lord, that in your love you reach to us in Christ, beckoning us to come to you. And to open our heart and life to you so that you can open your heart and life to us. Oh Lord, draw us. Draw us. And if you do not know that you know that you know that you know that you're there, I invite you to just pray in your heart right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to the foot of the cross where you died for me, Lord where you took my sin upon yourself, took that crown of thorns in my place, hung there, Lord, in agony, that you would take my punishment and give to me life everlasting. Lord, I invite you to be my Lord, be my Savior. I want to know what it is to live in that secret place of the Most High. I thank you, Lord, for coming in as you promised. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I shared Sunday morning, you know, um, we've been praying for years, haven't we, for a revival in this country. I don't know if this is the way it comes. Uh, I was hoping that, you know, there would be a, a release of the miraculous and, and healings, and that may be a part of it. But maybe people are just at wit's end with this thing, and they don't know what to do. And here we are as the church of Jesus Christ. We're out there walking among them, or, or not getting too close, um, but we are those that are walking in peace. We are those...
battery ran out. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, we are going to keep in touch. We are going to uh, keep the communication open. We are going to be there for one another through this. And we are going to watch God be glorified. Amen.